In just a moment, I'm going to be reading that marvelous creation account from Genesis chapter 1. It will be on the screen. I'll be making some reference to it in the course of the message. Before I do that, I'd like for us to enter into a time of prayer. Could we bow together, be in silence in God's presence to allow the Spirit to continue to speak to us? And then I'll lead us in family prayer. Eternal God, on this past Thursday on All Saints Day, we paused to thank you for those who've gone before us who have so impacted our lives. And for those around us, even today, who make life rich with blessings, through whom we experience your grace and encouragement and comfort and strength. Today, God, we pray for your church all over the world. We pray for persecuted Christians all over the world, especially for Coptic Christians who have experienced devastation in Egypt. We pray for any who are persecuted for their faith, for the Congregation of Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh as they continue to deal with grief, and for all within our uh, scope of ministry who are grieving today, would you comfort and bless and encourage? Would you touch the bodies of those who are sick? Would you bless, Lord, those serving in armed forces, that you would protect them and and bless their lives and their families as they defend our freedoms. We ask, Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit guide us as a country, as a, as a state, as a community, that we might live the gospel in faithfulness. We invite you, God, to speak to our hearts in a special way as we seek to understand more deeply your calling on our lives and how we would handle the stewardship and care of all the beautiful things you've entrusted to us. Through Christ we offer our full attention, our prayers, and our lives. Amen. So Genesis chapter 1, and I invite you to stand if you're able to, please. In the beginning... When God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome, and it was so. God called the dome sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And so it was. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. 
Then God said, Let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear seed with the seed, bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and the trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind, with which the waters swarm, and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things, wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. And God made wild animals of the earth of every kind, and cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing. That creeps upon the earth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. One of the most amazing and memorable sermons I ever heard preached was by Dr. Ernest T. Campbell. He was a visiting preacher at Midwestern Seminary. And he preached a sermon entitled, Where Does Your Bible Begin? And his premise was that for most of us, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, our Bibles begin with Genesis 3, with the fall, with Adam and Eve sinning and disobeying and being driven from the garden and all of the consequences, when in reality, our Bibles begin with Genesis 1, with God doing good things, with God creating and saying, it's good, it's good. It's good, and finally when he creates humankind, it's very good. And just the generosity of God and the blessing of God, and believe it or not, it makes a huge difference where your Bible begins. God creates out of God's goodness. Now, I did have a friend when I pastored in St. Joseph, Missouri. He said, uh, Pastor, God never made a mistake, but he came close when he made mosquitoes. And that's worth thinking about. Some of God's work, you know, it's not all even, right? Some is more wonderful than others. But God's work is good, really good. 
And some of us are old enough to remember when the astronauts in the early 1970s sent this wonderful picture back from their spacecraft to Earth of us. That's our first selfie, okay? And the impact that that photo and ones like it had on people when they realized, wow, we are this tiny ball spinning in space, somehow managing to continue year after year and century after century, how good and how majestic God is to create such beauty. In verse 1 and verse 21, the Genesis writer says, God created, and the Hebrew word is bara, B-A-R-A, we would transliterate. And it's interesting that in Genesis, only God creates. God's always the subject when that's the verb. The rest of us just rearrange stuff. The rest of us just move stuff around. Only God creates. And God creates with glad and generous heart. And uh, he, he, He's good to us. Creating out of kindness. Creating out of His... Uh, his goodness that just sort of flows from us, that, that even creation is a testimony to how much God loves us, that he would just be so generous, so extravagant with all of his caring. But it's not long in the Genesis account before God is warning and encouraging us to take care of our house, to take care of what God has bequeathed to us. And I really felt led this year in the stewardship season to move our stewardship emphasis back a little further than we usually begin with. To recognize that there is a crossover effect that how we handle our money, how we handle our talents and gifts and abilities, how we handle our time, all of those gifts from God actually are related to how well we handle the world that God has given us, that there's a crossover discipline, that if we are careful managers of one, we'll be careful managers of the other. And if we are careless and arrogant in the managing of the gift of one, we might be careless and arrogant in the management of the other. And I really do believe there's a relationship. Now, when I was uh, attending seminary uh, years ago, trying to pastor a church full-time and driving to seminary for classes and uh, meeting myself coming and going, I was pretty much, I felt like living in my car. I had this little puddle jumper of a vehicle, and uh, it kind of got cluttered. I mean, empty, uh, uh, empty cups, uh, all smashed up, and potato chip wrappers, and candy bar wrappers, and gum wrappers and dust and debris. And one Saturday, Janet, my wife, out of the goodness of her heart, she just cleaned up the inside of my little B210 Datsun, now known as Nissan. And I mean, she picked up the trash, she vacuumed it out, she took some of that polish and cleaned off my dash and my steering wheel and the steering column and that console between the seats that got so yucky. And it was when I walked out there and saw it, I went back in the house, I said, thank you. And her reply was, you're welcome, now keep it clean. 
that's not the last time I disobeyed my wife, but uh, it got cluttered again. But I thought, you know, isn't that what God tells us? This great, big, beautiful world and so many of the Psalms and so much of Scripture just wants us to make sure our breath is taken away at God's goodness, the supply of every need. But God is always lovingly wagging the finger saying, now keep it clean. Take care of it. Because in Genesis chapter 2, just just a ways into one of the creation accounts, the Lord God, Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and to keep it, to cultivate it, to, to manage it wisely, to care for it. Now, many, many centuries later, uh, the people of God, uh, the people of Abraham were in Egyptian captivity for 400 years. God in his mercy leveraged them out as Moses led them. And as they approached the promised land, God knew there were going to be battles to fight, that the the inhabitants would not give up that land easily. There's an obscure verse in Deuteronomy that I'd never looked at carefully before. Uh, It's in Deuteronomy 20, and God's giving them battle plans, and he says, now if you have to siege a city... If you have to surround a city and it takes you a long time to overtake it, don't chop down the fruit trees. Isn't that interesting? Deuteronomy 20, verses 19 and 20. Don't chop down the trees that bear fruit because God knew that it takes so little time to destroy a tree, but it takes years and years to grow a tree, and especially in the arid climate of the hot and dry Middle East. Trees are sacred. I learned to my amazement when I went to Israel a couple of years ago that you have to have government permission to chop down an olive tree because they are so ancient and so cherished. God says in Deuteronomy, take care of the earth. Can you imagine a green battle plan? Take care of creation. And then we know from Scripture that the people of God did take uh, the land. They dwelt there. They, they became uh, established. They grew kingdoms. And then over time, they turned their back on God, Israel and Judah. They disobeyed God, and God allowed them to be overrun by enemies and led away into captivity. And next we come to the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 2, verse 7 of Jeremiah. Listen to what he says. I brought you into a plentiful land to eat its fruits and its good things. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. Do you see the correlation between the pollution of their souls that spilled over into the pollution of their earth? That there was a relationship to the disregard they had for God and the disregard they had for God's gifts, God's beautiful creation. It's all tied together. And Jeremiah was reminding them that that defiling of your hearts is reflected in the defiling of the land, and it hurts God, and it destroys God's people. Now, if you're not acquainted with the poet Wendell Berry, You need to get to know him. He's a farmer. 
He's a poet and a prophet and a preacher, an author. And he writes a great deal about creation care. And in one of his essays, he says something really profound. He says that destroying the earth is not, first of all, a political issue. It certainly becomes one, but it's not, first of all, a political issue. He says care of the earth and destruction of the earth is not, first of all, uh, even an economic issue or a technical issue. He says, first of all, the way we treat the earth is a spiritual issue. Because he says, you look at the way we spoil the earth and you have to ask yourself, what has happened to our souls? What has happened to our souls that we would trash the earth the way we have? He goes on and says that rather than being, seeing ourselves as husbandmen, stewards, and caretakers of the earth, we have become parasites. We suck all we can from the earth and give nothing back. Strong words. But I think prophetic words and biblical words. So since this is not your typical stewardship sermon fair, and this is not a topic that's often talked about uh, in churches, or at least in this place. I want to make it easy for us, and I'm going to give you a take-home assignment that has three parts. And they're going to be on the screen, and so you can see these three take-home assignments to break this down in a way that is somehow grabbable. First of all, learn to see your stewardship of creation as part of following Jesus, the co-creator. Now let's camp there for a moment. If you believe John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews chapter 1, that Jesus was co-creator with God in making the worlds, and if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then it logically follows that you will want to honor the one you follow by taking care of what he created. What I'm saying is, Caring for the earth is not optional for some tree-hugging Christians. Caring for the earth is not optional in our discipleship. It's a part of following Jesus. That we treat his world with respect. You know, uh, one of the joys I've had the last several years is connecting with the larger Baptist family, Baptist World Alliance, uh, Christians and pastors all all over the globe. And one of the richest blessings is the insights scripturally that you gain from listening to people of other cultures. Did you know that global Christian pastors, global Baptist pastors are baffled as to why American pastors never talk about the environment and never talk about caring for the earth? And the ones who are most baffled are the pastors, the women and men who serve in the Pacific Rim, the ones who are most impacted by Earth's devastation. And they simply include it in their their preaching that it's a part of loving God, it's a part of stewardship, it's a part of following Jesus. Number two, live more simply, live more simply with generosity toward the Earth and others. 
Have a conversation with your family about how you could simplify your life in order to be more generous to others, to be more generous through your church, to be more generous to God, to see how all of that Christian discipleship fits together because, as I have said already but will repeat, there is a correlation between the way we disregard the earth and the way we disregard God, the way we honor the earth and creation and the way we honor God who created it. And think about and pray about and explore ways that you and your family can live more simply with more generosity that will in turn create more joy. And by the way, it occurred to me this week as I was preparing this that we are treating the earth the way we treated Jesus when he came to earth. We took him for granted. We misused him. And then we crucified him. There is a correlation. Number three, become God's partner in growing beautiful spaces inside you and around you. Again, the correlation. That internal holiness has a correlation to the beauty of the world around us. Maybe there are some weeds you need to pull in your own heart. Maybe there's some trash you need to clean up in your own mind. Maybe there's some ugly uh, debris of attitudes that you need to let go of. To partner with God's power to let go of some of that, to repent, to trust Jesus, to open your life to new spiritual power. And in the process, to see beautiful things inside your life as well as around you begin to grow. Because think about it, every blade of grass you see, every shrub, every flower, every tree practices resurrection. And that's another phrase from Wendell Berry. There's death and burial, and then there's new life. Every tree, every plant, every flower, every blade of grass, everything that is beautiful around us practices resurrection, and God invites us through his Holy Spirit's power, to practice resurrection too. To practice living more beautifully, with more holiness. And so, you know, that's my take-home assignment for us to work on as we think in these following two Sundays about how to love God through faithful giving. We begin with caring for his earth. Um, I read a blog by a gentleman. He said... uh, my eight-year-old daughter came up to me and said, Daddy, I want us to start recycling. And he chuckled and said, Okay, honey, why do you want us to do that? She said, To save the earth. And he thought he'd push a little bit further. And she said, uh, he said to her, Well, why do you want to save the earth? And she replied, Because that's where I keep all my stuff. She's right. This is where we keep all our stuff. But it's not our stuff. It's God's stuff. And he wants us to take care of it. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we'll stand for response. We invite you, if uh, you are hearing the call for the first time to 
surrender your life to Jesus Christ to let his word enter your heart and your life. We're here to pray with you. If you have a church membership decision to make or an item to pray about, uh, this time of response is for you. Or right where you stand, as the Spirit may speak. Right where you stand, maybe some cleaning could take place. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and for your beautiful creative power. Work in us now that which is pleasing in your sight. Through Christ we pray.